Alright, we will try again. Good morning, this is September 9 and this is our uh, JP Roundtable uh, and uh, we're going to start this morning talking about the resumption of jury trials. We do have a couple of guests here with us. Uh, I think most of you do know uh, Nicole Garcia who is responsible for um, assembling our juries here in Maricopa County. Uh, an incredibly important person in an incredibly important time so let's uh, Welcome and thank Nicole for being here. Also present is Paul Julian, and I know all of you know Paul Julian. Actually, Alexander doesn't know Paul Julian yet, but uh, you will meet Paul in January, at least virtually, if not in person. Paul is the Judicial Education Officer for the state, and he headed the task force on jury trials. Uh, so, um, as we talk about the resumption of jury trials, I know this is something that we've not given a lot of thought to because uh, we've been more worried okay Judge Huberman still can't hear anything uh, you, uh, well. uh, so um, we'll just dive right in what I want to do okay you can't hear me either so what I want to do is um, the Superior Court put out a jury trial outline and we can use that as the basis for our discussion and what I really want is for this to be a discussion uh, because uh, a lot of you are going to start facing jury trials now I know uh, Judge Jones your jury trial just went away uh, but Judge Sears who is on the phone you have a couple coming up uh, Judge Kissel you've got at least one coming up uh, so this is something we are going to have to talk about. One of the problems or issues that we have is all of our courtrooms are constructed differently. Uh, so when we talk about configuration, uh, it, it's not something that we're going to be um, easily resolved. As we do want this to be a roundtable, we want this to be a, a discussion. Uh, we want uh, any and all of you to feel free to chime in at any time. Uh, we are recording this matter. Uh, to make this available uh, as a podcast later uh, for those judges and pro tems who couldn't be here today. So please keep that in mind and keep it safe for work. Uh, and um, I'll pull up the outline. All right. So I sent out the Superior Court one version to you yesterday. All right, now Judge Lopez can't hear. Also uh, want to thank all of you who have helped us uh, at the Judicial College uh, and statewide with our training programs. Charlie basically did a one-man eviction statewide web webinar, which was fantastic. Uh, and uh, we're still talking about that, Charlie. So of course, thanks on yes. that. So, Al almost everything has changed since then, but... Yeah, <laughs> isn't that the truth? So, um, and uh, Jim Morrow, thank you uh, for being here uh, in your leadership role as a court administrator, and I hope that you will also participate because uh, I, I know you have a lot of the, uh, you know, <laughs> sort of administrative role and, uh, and a lot of the information that goes between the lines on this outline you can help with so 
uh, anyone, I hope you will join in uh, to offer up suggestions or if you have any questions, uh, and particularly uh, Judge Watts and uh, Nicole and, of course, uh, Charlie. All right, so uh, let, let's just kind of... You should all be able now, if you're um, on the computer, to be able to see the uh, outlines uh, that, that I've crafted from the Superior Court one. And so the first thing that we do need to talk about um, are how you're going to schedule these. And um, one of the most important things, and, and Jim Morrow and I did meet with uh, the prosecutors and public defenders last week, and they agreed that one of the most important things that we're going to do going forward is holding the pretrial conferences and the status conferences. Uh, the Superior Court calls them trial procedure conferences. And basically what you're going to do at this is you are going to have to go through the entire, pro I mean walk through the entire process in terms of this is where people are going to sit um, this is uh, where, um, how we're going to do voir dire. This is how you're going to approach the witness. Um, is the witness going to wear a mask? Uh, how are we going to do identification? If there's a victim, where is the victim going to be? Uh, we, we have to discuss every single item involved in the jury trial, which also means that the judge who's going to do the jury trial needs to hold the, the pretrial conference or the status conference or the trial procedure conference, um, regardless of what you call it. Uh, Jim, do you want to chime in here on, on what the prosecutors and public defenders said? I, I would, Charles. Um, in, in what Charles just mentioned about, hey, bring him in ahead of time to walk through the trial, I, I would just Put that, you know, the old golden rule thing that we tried to uh, work with our kids when our kids were little. Uh, bring them in to lay out your ideas, your thoughts, but certainly elicit from them their ideas, their thoughts. Uh, a big part of doing a jury trial right now, and again, none of us have done it. There's only a couple of judges in the state who have done a jury trial in the pandemic. Even Nicole, with all of her experience, has only seen a a couple of people go forward. I'm going to be tossing stuff to Nicole because she's really is the expert. But I think a big part of this, if I was on the bench still, would be to how do I make people comfortable so that we can have a jury trial? Because if we can't achieve some level of comfort, then, then we're just going through the motions. Uh, I know Judge Jones was getting awfully close to having a jury trial. Uh, so let me try to elicit uh, some information from you guys who are a little bit close. Just so how many people could you seat in the back of your courtroom for uh, jury selection? Have you counted those seats out yet? I, I think your manager had. We, we've gone through that of, of how to spread them out to, to handle probably about 10 at a time. About 10 at a time. Judge Kissel, how about your courtroom? I know you're getting close. We're the same, and we're going to have to tier our board here, and we just split our board here off from the normal trial date. Normally, we would have all done in the morning, so we're, we're making it board here one week uh, trial, trial the following 
uh, food day and bring them in to that time over the course of, I think we got scheduled over the course of four hours to get through part here. And anybody know, have a different number of how many prospective jurors uh, you can sit in your courtroom? Anybody have something wildly different than 10? Mm-hmm. Now, no, I think the you, next piece... Go ahead. I'm going to try something different. I, I, I don't have a high degree of confidence that will work, but I'm going to try to do all of the jury selection, all the... Uh, well, in Oklahoma and Texas, it's called Board Dyer. Um, I'm, I'm going to try to do that all remotely. Um, I, I don't know that will work, but uh, the... The jury commissioner, Nicole, has already sent us uh, a list of all the addresses of people that have been summoned to um, an, a, a jury that we have in October. Um, I'm going to try to, I'll, I'll send them a, a written questionnaire, um, give them a, a stamped envelope, ask them to mail it back to us, and hopefully, and then ask them to be available on telephone standby. And we're going to try to do to where the only people that report to the courthouse are the, the six plus the alternate, so the, so the seven that are actually selected for, for jury duty. I, I don't know that this will work. It, it wouldn't work in a, in a Supreme Court, I mean, sorry, in a Superior Court setting, but Superior Court has a giant jury pool where jury members can be, if they're not selected for one trial, you can be selected for a different trial. If, if they're coming to our buildings, they're coming only for that one trial. And so I, I'll let you know if, if, I, if, if, this, if, my, if my plane crashes and burns or, or not. But that's, that's what I'm going to attempt to do. Well, and, and that's... Thank you, Judge Williams. And, and I know we talked to the prosecutors, the supervising prosecutors and defense attorneys, and they were curious whether anyone was going to do that. I know that'll take some hand-holding to get them on board with that, so we wish you well. I, I think most people plan on bringing in around 10. Uh, hey, Nicole, with our, whatever that fancy statistical uh, name you put on it, how many people we get, or how many people we, summonses we have you send out, how many people do they need to be summoning in order to end up with 10 to sit in the back of their courtroom? Well, so we did, we, you know, the jury office, we keep a lot of statistics. Um, however, we are now in uncharted territory, so um, our statistics, we were pretty accurate before, and uh, I think we're having to recalibrate now. So we have had two jury trials so far. We're having our third and fourth today. Um we're needing, we're calling in, we're, we're expecting that we will get about 60% of the jurors that we call in to appear. So for the justice courts, traditionally, justice courts would um, send out summonses for a pool between 80 to 130 jurors per each pool, and that varied um, based on the justice court. Um, and they would yield anywhere from 18 to the upper 20s. So... Um, what I would recommend is that each of you or your managers contact us to see what your current 
uh, pull sizes, um, and then we can uh, we can add some more, um, so that way we can determine, um, you know, maybe we'll get you a better yield, um, or at least something that was consistent to prior to the pandemic. And and I know when I was thinking this through with White Tank, to, to end up with about ten people. Um, based on the uh, yield rate that Nicole had given me, I think there I'd want them to have her summons 37 people based on historic returns that would end up with 10. If you get a little bit better, then they've got room for 12 in the back of the courtroom. If they get more than 12, they've got to have people hold over to the next round of jury selection. Uh, Judge uh, Jones, had you, had you guys figured out, I know I talked to your manager, she was gonna bring people, or you were gonna bring people in shifts, I think. You know how many people you were gonna bring in? I'm, I would have to defer, because actually our trial went away, so I'm not having to worry about it till October, but. Uh, how about you, Judge Pistol? Have you kind of figured out how many to summon for your 8.30 versus your 10.30 or whatever time slots you pick? We're doing in groups of 15 on the off chance all 15 check in. First 10 will be in the courtroom, the other five will sit in the car. As more deer moves forward, we'll call them in as we need them. And we're hoping if we get a jury by, by group two or maybe three, we call the rest and just let them so they don't have to come up. And, uh, so, Judge Kissel, I understand you're having her summons 15. You're not uh, not having her summons extra. So you're playing a super safe. I thought you were asking how big a shift they were coming in. I think we upped the summon to, it was 100 or 120. But you're not having all 120 come in at the same time, right? No, we're, we're bringing them into shifts into groups of, of approximately 15. And then scheduling them in hour in thirty minute shifts, in the off chance that fifteen people show up at the door all at the same time, we're only going to let in ten. Five will wait in their cars, and when we get through that ten, we then bring in the additional. I don't think we're going to a situation where when there are groups of fifteen, fifteen will show up. My guess is we're probably about eight or nine. Good. Uh, one of the things in in the administrative order, both uh, Supreme Court administrative order 114, probably prior versions, and certainly 143, the administrative order that we're operating under now, we're not allowed to summon more than 30 people at a time without direction from the presiding judge of the county, so for us, Judge Welty. Uh, I reached out to Judge Welty to to obtain his direction because I assume some courts will want to have Nicole's office summons more than than the 30 people. Uh, I, I, I've not heard back yet, but I didn't get to him until uh, pretty recently. My guess is Judge Welty likely wants to consult with Nicole before responding to my uh, my email, and Nicole had uh, some out-of-town out of time this week yet. So the... Right now, we've got summonses out from several courts in excess of 30. If we get direction saying, no, we are capped, we cannot summon more than 30 to come in at 830, 
then I'll be communicating with you and your board managers about staggering their report times using the phone message that the jurors are supposed to call in the night before. But hopefully we can up that a little bit. It gets tricky. Your first part for jury selection is counting seats, getting out the tape measure, figuring out how many bodies are actually back there, and then doing some math to figure out how many you can summon if you're not going to Judge Williams' route and trying to do something over the phone or in writing. Nicole, any other thoughts? What else you got for us on your line of work? So um, one of the things that I would suggest to all of the courts, um, traditionally all of your jurors have been in one group. Um, when we create a jury pool, um, about 100 jurors comprise one group. So, you know, when you look at a summons, if you were to get a summons for Superior Court, you might have group 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. Each of those groups have about 100 people in them. Um, never really summons more than around 100, there's only ever been one group. What I would suggest is that um, we can adjust on our end, if you would like, uh, we can adjust so that way uh, your jurors get group numbers. We can chunk them up into groups of like 30. So then you would have, you know, one, group 1001 has 30 people, group 1002 has 30 people, etc. Um, that would then help you when you are um, determining which group numbers to call, to call them to report. So, you know, if you are one, please come in at 10. If you are group 1002, please come in at 130. Um, that will, you know, that will help you, and then you won't have to try and determine a way to call in the groups, um, like by last name or or anything like that, it'll still maintain an element of randomness if we if we chunk them into groups for you. So if that's something that you would like to do, um, when we send out our email on Tuesday to let you know that we're sending out summonses, please just have your court manager let us know that you would like to uh, chunk up the jurors into smaller groups. We can do that without an issue for you. And I think we've already done that for at least one of the justice courts. Does, um, does, any of you, does any of you know which court did that? Was that uh, Judge Sears? Was that your West Mesa? Somebody in the East Valley had already asked Nicole's group to be doing, assigning different numbers to come in at different times. We had already been planning on that. Excellent. Good. Thanks. Sorry, Nicole, I interrupted. No worries. Um, another thing that um, we can do for you, some of the justice courts and um, several of the city courts have done this. We can provide you with uh, a pool summary. Um, that's what the report has called for us. Um, so basically what it is is once we issue the summonses for a certain day, we can provide you a report with um, the names and the mailing addresses of all the jurors who are in that pool for that day. Um, so then if you wanted to mail something to the jurors, either, you know, maybe you want to mail something to let them know what your court is doing in light of COVID, or you want to email a pre-screen questionnaire, um, you can use that information to do so. 
Um, what some of the city courts are doing is they are sending a paper letter to the jurors um, to let them know, here's a, a pre-screen questionnaire that we'd like you to take, um, and then the jurors will mail that questionnaire directly back to the city court. Um, we have been using a pre-screen questionnaire for our jurors at Superior Court. And as I mentioned earlier, we, uh, we've had two trials so far. With that pre-screen questionnaire, we are eliminating, or the judges are reviewing and eliminating uh, a lot of the jurors who have hardships. So these are issues beyond what the jury office can legally excuse people for. These are things that are more judgment calls that a judge would make during voir dire. So um, with this new procedure, one of our judges was able to seat an eight plus two jury um, in two hours. Uh, and from just 20 jurors. They had a poll, or they had a panel of 20 and they seated their eight plus two jury. Uh, the second judge needed 17 jurors. Um, it was a 12 plus four and he wanted an extra alternate um, just in case because it was gonna be a longer trial. And he was able to do that with two panels of 20 and he finished before 3 p.m. that day. Uh, he started in the morning. So these pre-screen questionnaires that we're using seem to be helping us uh, go through board year much more quickly. Uh, that, you know, that helps the trial get started sooner, but it also helps us not have people in the building for a long time. So, can I comment? Can I uh, throw it out for discussion a little bit before you, you move into a different area? Uh, we did talk about the pre-screen uh, questionnaire with the supervisors of, of the attorneys that in your courtroom. And I certainly like the idea because you know, fewer people coming into the courthouse, the better. On the other hand, people get nervous about any change. Uh, one of the things that Superior Court's doing is you have uh, because you're one court, you can have not the trial judge, but assigned commissioners or judge who actually rules on the the, the pre-screen. Is that correct, Nicole? Yeah. Um, so if if you know, Judge Jones or Judge Kissel, I pick on you guys because in my mind you guys were one of the first ones up. I know Judge Sears also is one of the first ones up that uh, her photos are not here. Um, if that's something that you guys want to line up, you need to get those names and addresses, get those mailings out sooner. I saw Scott Davis's names uh, listed here, somebody listed in. Scott volunteered at an earlier session to help set up a survey monkey if somebody wanted to, to explore that route to, to make it even easier on a prospective juror to say, yeah, I've got diabetes, I'm not going anywhere right now. Uh, let me out of this. Uh, one of the things the attorneys raised in, in the meeting that, that uh, we had with them was whether, if we go this route, whether there can be a, a pro tem or whether that can be centrally located as far as uh, winnowing down, ruling on those types of, of things. I, you know, I think Charles and I just kind of nodded or whatever and went on. I don't think in our setup that would make a lot of sense to to even seek to try to centralize it because we've got so many people. 
but it does mean that when they come in, you need to act on them pretty quickly. You want to make sure that you you exclude somebody so that they don't come into your courtroom, uh, since that's the reason why you'd be doing the pre-screen. Charles, before we go back to Nicole, did you have any other anything else from that conversation on the pre-screen with the attorneys that you promised to share with this group? Uh, no, but before we move on, I do want to go back to Judge Williams um, doing, uh, trying to do voir dire virtually, because uh, and Judge Kissel had the same question I did. One is, are you going to get objections? Uh, Paul, when when the statewide work group met, what did they have concerns with doing voir dire virtually? Well. Um, Yes, of course. You know, it, it, anything that uh, is a total difference from what we've been doing, uh, you know, whenever these things came up, there was some resistance and some concerns. Uh, it was interesting, uh, and Nicole, I see you nodding your head. Um, we had a couple of counties, Mojave in particular, that seemed uh, quite zealous about uh, trying anything, including, you know, a full grand jury and, uh, and a remote uh, uh, voir dire. Um, so it had seen to me uh, that it was a little bit of an entrepreneurial spirit <laughs> the, uh, from the big uh, group uh, as to who was comfortable about it and who wasn't. Um, so I, I mean, I, I think that uh, we're all learning. Um, yet I know it's not the same to have new judge orientation as it is to do a jury voir dire, uh, but we did do a whole week of new judge orientation with general jurisdiction last week, and we have a whole week coming up uh, in two weeks with limited jurisdiction, and uh, and we've never done anything like this before, but, we, you know, we had all the faculty, we had, uh, um, you know, a lot of new judges, and I, I so I, I, I think that the technology is there and that, um, you know, people will get more comfortable with it. Uh, I, I, I do have the feeling that, it's, uh, um, to a certain extent, again, it's, it's a level of comfort um, as it has been. I mean, I'm, I'm getting ready to celebrate my 67th birthday. Uh, my grandchildren, I, I mean, it's sort of cliche, but they're, they're incredibly comfortable uh, on our Zoom calls on Sunday, you know. So I honestly think that the, the, the younger of you all uh, probably are more willing to take these chances, and that seemed to be the case throughout the state. That's a, a long answer, but it's a big its a big question. I mean, we're doing so many things now remotely that, uh, you know, including, you know, actually, uh, you know, ha having uh, our proceedings, civil traffic and otherwise. And hey, hey, so the judge proposed the virtual voir dire for trial that was coming up, and I had an attorney just flat out go into, go into a bed. He wouldn't be able to see the jurors. He wouldn't be able to get rid of the jurors. This is unfair. This is unconstitutional. And just just the desire not to have to do all of these twice is what ultimately led me to, to, to bring the jurors in. So I, I was curious, Jeremy, whether or not you already got the buy-in of all the parties or if there was one party that has objected and you were just thinking, if it goes up on appeal, it goes up on appeal, and we'll worry about that. Um, I, my, my jury status conference is actually tomorrow. Um, so... Um, I will have less resistance from the, the deputy county attorney than I will from the private um, non-public defender, criminal defender 
has already said, well, you know, I have to be able to see them. You know, and I'm like, show me some case law that says that. You know, and of course there won't be any because we haven't had Zoom yet. Um, but uh, I don't, I mean, I think you can well, they can't. They can't reject jurors based on race, and I would argue you wouldn't be able to track that without being able to see the jurors. Well, there'll be demographic information on the forms that that goes out. I mean, you, you can accidentally, I guess, reject someone based on race if you don't know what their race is. Um, I, I don't know how you would have a Batson challenge that you're kicking all of people of a particular race off the jury if you don't know what anybody's race is. Um, but that's a, that's a, perhaps a separate issue. But I, I'm, I'm not worried much about uh, uh, that kind of challenge. Every attorney has been trained to build their theory of the case during war dire. That, that's their time to make essentially an initial opening statement to try to get comfortable to try to pitch their theory of the case. And you can't do that um, with a questionnaire and individual phone calls. It, it's going to be much, much harder to do that. So that, I, I think that the, the resistance is, hey, you're taking away part of my trial strategy, uh, part of my trial tactics. But, again, we'll, we'll see. Um, uh, I'll, uh, I just, I, I was just trying to figure out a, you know, it, it would be nice to do it on Zoom, it would be nice to do it um, on one giant phone call, but then you run into discrimination issues, you know, about people that don't have computer access, people that don't know how to use computers, all those kinds of things. So it's like, well, everyone, you know, presumably has an address where they live, where they wouldn't have gotten the jury summons in the first place. Uh, I can, I, I'm going to mail them a letter, a cover letter, you know, explaining, hey, we're trying to do this so you don't have to come to court during coronavirus, please fill this out. Um, I don't know, we sent seven, we're going to send 70 out to try to get seven. I, I don't know if, if that will work or not, but that's what we asked. Nicole to send out with 70. But I, I'm sure the, the defense attorney subject is going to object. I don't know how much, how far that objection is going to go. And the objecting to the virtual proceedings are going to be pretty similar to objections about people leaving their masks on. Uh, defense attorneys are going to say, I, I want to see their facial expressions, I want to see their mannerisms, I want to be able to, uh, to determine um, their behavior, and, and I can't do that if they're wearing a mask. Uh, so it, we're going to have pretty similar arguments uh, both ways, and and this is going to be a challenge, and that's and that's why you are going to have to discuss this at, at the pretrial conference. So let's go back to the outline. Somebody get your phone, please. So what we want to address at the Jim, with respect to the mask, though, since that the mask and the social distancing, and that's going to be the elephant in the room. It, it really is. Um, so. I want to make sure that we, we have enough time to discuss that. When we raised it with the prosecutors and defense attorneys the other day, one of the tasks that I took in, in that 
in anticipation of people saying, oh, I want to see their faces and the facial expression is, don't you want these people to be comfortable in the courtroom so that they are hearing the evidence you're presenting and so that they're listening to the arguments that you're making? And the more comfortable you can make those people, even during this pandemic, the better you're going to be able to make your case on behalf of either the state or on behalf of the defendant. And, and I don't, now, now I wasn't sitting where you guys are sitting, uh, and it wasn't an actual case, but it seemed that people were nodding their heads in agreement uh, during our little discussion and buying in on that. Uh, so I, you know, you, we're all living under administrative order that requires people in the facility to wear a mask and for social distancing. And, and we have to, um, you know, looking at, I forget which one of the attorneys mentioned, you know, we, our target audience is making the most nervous person, the person who hasn't been out of their house since March, comfortable in the courtroom. So that's, that's the person we're looking at, not, not the average person, if you will. So the more that, that we can, you know, if I was on the bench, I'd be saying right up front, hey, if, if my mask slides under my nose, I'd appreciate it if somebody would raise their hand or mention it so I can put it back up. I'm going to do the same for you. Uh, hey, if, if you see me getting too close to my bailiff here, feel free to let me know. I'm going to be doing that for you. And I don't mean any offense by that. Those are the rules that are applicable in my courtroom, and I'm going to enforce those rules for everybody's safety. I guess I, as I was thinking through, I was trying to think, how do I present this in a, a nice way up front? Uh, Nicole mentioned uh, Judge uh, Ryan Toyo had that first trial last Tuesday. I thought she did a marvelous job during jury selection of introducing her ground rules and then you know, gently but firmly enforcing those so that everybody felt comfortable in the courtroom. Um, anybody else have any thoughts on the, how you're going to enforce the mask and social distancing requirements in, in the scenario of a jury trial? Jim, um, just, just really quickly, um, at Superior Court, we have made a concerted effort to let the jurors know that we are taking all of these measures not out of fear or to scare them, but to allow them to focus on their duties and responsibilities as a juror. So that's perfect. Yeah. All right, so... And this is uh, Judge Ray. My thoughts are, um, what about issuing the jurors, since uh, defense attorneys keep saying we want to see their face doing the face shield? You, you I think I can issue a link for that. Under the AO, that would be permissible, at least under my reading of the AO. The difficulty with that is the face shield is not as effective for your neighbors than the mask. So if I've got somebody six, seven feet away from me with the face shield on, but no mask, I'm sitting there still worried about their spittle working its way under the shield and over to me. Nicole, did, was there some, or, or Paul, was there some discussions about the face shield option uh, in, in the uh, plant, um, 
Nabisa Mehdi? Uh, Nicole, you want to answer that? Oh, she has we run. Have some... I'll, I'll go right after. Okay. <laughs> um, we have some discussions about it, and we've done various trial simulations using the map. Um, the map does allow for some people to see. The only thing is, depending on where you are in the courtroom, it gets a lot of glare so that you can't see the person's face at all. So, um, if you do use just like the shield, um, you'll need to test it out in your courtroom to make sure that there's not going to be blind spots from wherever the light is hitting it. Um, and then masks, it, we give instructions saying, you know, there may be portions of today's proceedings where somebody will have to take off their mask, but they're going to be behind plexiglass. Um, I, I think that the, it just really depends on your courtroom, the trial that you're having, the attorneys that are going to be presenting to you um, to see, you know, whether they prefer the shield versus the mask. Um, some of the civil trials, they like the, sh uh, the civil trial simulations, they like the shield better. Um, but in the criminal trials, I think they, because of all the glare and everything, they've been preferring just masks and then taking them down when they're behind Lexi Glass. And, and I would, Judge Riggs, I, I would think about that that person that you want on your jury or, or who's entitled to be on the jury to broaden the pool who hasn't been in, out, out of their house since March. Um, and they made, to make that person comfortable, the mask may be the way to go. Now, a witness, man, that's a different story. That witness, their facial expressions, their smirk or whatever, and I, I think that's important. And I think Nicole hit, hit it on the head there is that the witness chair needs to be behind plexiglass. We've got uh, a couple of extra uh, plexiglass portable things, so if you don't have your witness chair behind uh, plexiglass, let me know or let Chris know and we'll figure out how to get one out to you or if uh, one of the other courtrooms in your facility has one, you might want to take it and move it over there. Of course, between witnesses, you'll have to have the clerk come out and disinfect it, but that would allow everyone, the jurors, the attorneys, to see the witnesses' facial expressions as they testify. Plus, then you don't worry about whether their muscles are wearing a, uh, a mask. Nicole or Paul or... Ch go ahead. Somebody had a comment? Yeah, so this is Steve Erie, and, and the concern I would have is I, I think that it's just as important to see the facial expressions of the jury uh, group as it is to have the facial expression of the witness. Counsel can't tell just by looking at their eyes with a mask on if the information that they're communicating is getting across if they're confused if they're if they're not getting the information i mean it's just as important for a counsel legal counsel to be able to read the face of the jury uh jury members as it is the, the as it is for the jury to, to witness the, the facial expressions of the witness so i think it's just as critical for both parties it, and it's certainly you know the balancing act there you're, you're saying that's on your scales of justice boy that 
that really is weighty. The, the other side is how do we keep people comfortable in the courtroom so that they're listening to the evidence and not worried about the breath of the juror that's six, seven feet over from them. Um, we're in uncharted territory. It, it, you know, if you've got a big enough space that you can spread out your, your six jurors, your seventh, your alternate, um, by using up the entire courtroom, because right now you don't have to allow the public to come into the courtroom to spread those people out and make them more comfortable. Use them you know, wall to wall to wall to get everybody as far apart as possible. Then maybe uh, people can have a face shield on rather than a mask and their neighbor not be worried about their breath. Um, it, in my mind, you know, my scales are a little bit different, but we all have different scales, uh, and we all get to be, you know, our, our own judicial officer. Judge Warianka, you have something important for the judge to be able to determine whether you've lost your jury and they've drifted off and sometimes eyes aren't sufficient. You know, I keep them to make sure that I, if I need to take a break, get them refreshed and be able to listen again. And so, you know, we kind of need to see as much as we can of the jurors. Well, one thing about seeing the jurors that if, and I think all of us are going to have to end up putting, you know, once we get through jury selection and, and you've got your your jurors, and your jury boxes just aren't big enough to socially distance them. So you're likely going to put them in the back of the courtroom. Um, so then you've got to move the council tables or move where the council are, are seated so that at least they can see the jurors with the peripheral vision, which is what they're doing now anyway. Again, that's the drives home the importance of bringing in the attorneys who are actually going to try the case uh, a few days before the trial, walking through. Here's where I'm thinking of having everybody sit, including you. Is there a victim? If there's a victim, you got to find extra space for the victim. If there's a, an interpreter uh, for a witness or for the defendant, you've you got to figure that out ahead of time. Um, I, I think doing that dry run with the attorneys is important. Uh, one comment I didn't make earlier is if any of you are planning on using GoToMeeting or phone calls to do a, a telephonic or a video uh, portion of the Vardar, I, I wouldn't do it, everything that way. I would certainly, I think you could get away with narrowing your 30 people down to 15 or, or something to bring in. Uh, let me know. I, I, Certainly volunteer uh, admin staff to role play the jurors if somebody wanted to do a dry run with it, with the attorneys to just just role play a jury selection with live human beings. I know uh, Nicole over there at Spirit Court, they did some dry runs on stuff. Um, Nicole, I feel like we... Um, I, I haven't spent very much time thinking about gloves. And I noticed that they're, they're featured kind of prominently in the outline where they, the, it was, I guess in Superior Court, everyone's wearing gloves during a jury trial. I, I don't know. I hadn't really envisioned that. And in a, in a DUI trial, there may be one or two documents that are, that are given to the jury as evidence 
are the written final jury instructions, um, do we really need everyone to be wearing gloves the whole time? I mean, it's different if you have a case where there's a lot of physical evidence that's going to be passed around and stuff. But I, I really didn't envision the, the jury members wearing gloves. If maybe uh, Nicole Garcia or someone could tell us what's going on in Superior Court or what other people had envisioned. But I, I'll, I'll be honest, gloves wasn't really that much on my on my radar. So I was curious what other people are thinking. Um, in Superior Court, really, the, the clerks are the ones wearing gloves right now. Um, what we've done for evidence is, um, well, first, we've allowed or allotted the, the courtroom as the deliberation room. So what we've done is the well is kind of like lined, you know, with the jury box. There's kind of like a little partition in front of it and then the council table. Um, so we've lined all the evidence on these tables and along that partition. So then the jurors just kind of end up working at it. Um, we have instructions if they do want to handle the um, evidence, they're supposed to put hand sanitizer on, put the gloves on, handle the evidence, put it back, take the gloves off, and then re-sanitize their hands. But really they're not wearing gloves unless they want to handle the evidence. We did mention this to the attorneys. In most of our cases, and, and everything that's lined up now is pretty much DUIs, there's not going to be um, you know, a gun to hand around the physical evidence. Um, so, so that alleviates the need for gloves for the jurors in our courtrooms. But that's a, one of the things on your checklist that you'll want to check with the attorneys ahead of time that the attorneys know that publishing the evidence to the jury is more complicated than in a pandemic than normal. But the document, then you know, they need to be prepared to either have that projected on the screen for everybody to see, or if they actually want something in the hands of the jurors, see if they can get a stipulation they have multiple copies of the document so that people aren't passing one thing around. Um, I, the attorneys didn't think that we're going to see that too much in our court. I certainly don't see it. Uh, I think that, but if we really start doing these and we live under these circumstances for another six, eight months, somebody, uh, somebody on this uh, conference is going to have encounter that, that scenario where a piece of evidence needs to be published to the jury and you're going to have to deal with it. All right, there's a... a Jim, uh, okay, Paul. Oh, thanks. I, uh, Jim, um, you brought up the last two major topics uh, have been critical, I think, uh, and, and we, we sort of touched on the TPC, the Trial Procedure Conference, and you mentioned the uh, elephant in the room, the masks. I don't, I mean, if I was asked what's been the most contentious issue, you had to pick one about it, 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 all these aspects of what we're talking about. Masks, of, is, is it the moment that people come into the courtroom, come into the building, and, and on. So that's wise of you to point out. As far as, as um, 
so much of what we've talked about and and so much of what is in this entire outline is uh, it's more important, I think, and this is what I've been hearing statewide and nationally, are these trial procedure conferences. Uh, there's just a, you know, on that first page, just a, a couple of notes about it there, but um, clearly the more that a, a discussion that you can have about the evidence uh, that's being passed around or jury questions, you know, are you going to have the bailiff go around and take them? Are you going to hand everybody a jury question on a piece of paper that somebody's touched? Um, from the smallest details to the to the big issues that have to be decided, like you know, a firm trial date and so on and so forth. So, uh, if you don't come away with anything else, uh, I think that if you can run an effective trial procedure conference, and you'll need several of them probably as you move through this, uh, and resolve as many issues as you can possibly address at that pre-trial stage, the smoother everything's going to go. One of the things that I think it was Nicole who reminded me of this, one, one thing that you can do if you have group 1001, uh, back, back to uh, jury selection, come in at 8.30, group 1002 come in at 10.30, you can actually have group 3 scheduled for the following day. If you think that you're going to get enough jurors with, with having... Uh, two groups of people summoned for 8.30 and 10.30. You'd love the assurance, uh, insurance of having a third group, but you're not sure you could put that off to the following morning and then cancel them out. Um, right now we're looking at DUI trials, jury selection, I think one day, uh, opening and evidence, uh, the next day. So we're looking at two days, maybe swapping over into a third day. It, it, it's a different dynamic right now, but since you're going from one day to two day, you could have a backup jury uh, pool waiting, hoping that you don't need them, but then you wouldn't have to scratch it if you don't get enough jurors the first time around. Nicole, I don't know if I presented that I didn't do it as eloquently as you did, but, but I, I thought that was a good idea for us. Yeah, that's fine. Ah, you're not cleaning me up at all on that. Okay. And, and back to the pretrial conference, sir, or, uh, one of the things that you are going to have to talk about is attorney movement. This is not something that you normally think about, um, but you are going to have to keep an eye on where the attorney is, where the attorney is going, and how are you going to do bench conferences. Uh, th this is something that you're really going to have to give a lot of, of, of thought to. Uh, the other thing you have to think I, about... I've got no, who, who's got a solution on the bench conferences? Man, I don't. Anybody got, got that worked out in the month? I'm going to take a minute. And there's there's no good way to do it in the room. Um, I can chambers. I can space them out. They need a bench conference. We're just going to step out. So take take the attorneys into into chambers or dismiss the jury in in. Um, the hallway. Pardon me. Leave the jury work because I don't have a place to excuse the jury to. We can step in the hallway where the, where the clerks would come through 
and then just do it outside the view of the jury. And then um, when the jury is out of the courtroom, you can go on the record and discuss what, what occurred in the bench conference. That's, that's not optimal, but we don't have a lot of options. Did, does anyone have a better... And I can never let my jury really leave the courtroom. I don't, I don't have a place to send my jury. My jury's kind of stuck there because the, the, the jury rooms aren't big enough for social distancing. I know out at Southwest they've got the, the white noise and the setup there, the electronic setup. So at for the full course at the Southwest facility, if the jurors are in the uh, gallery, which is where I, I would have them, uh, I think I could do a bench conference up front. I'd want to test it out and say something, hey, jurors, can you hear me or something? Uh, but, but I... It's going to be awkward. I know in um, Ryan Suhill's trial last week, they did a bench conference, and they must have a microphone over at the clerk station because one of the attorneys came up to the bench. The other attorney went to uh, the bailiff. It must have been speaking into a microphone for just the three of them to hear. We don't have that set up in our courtrooms, at least to my knowledge. Even the white noise would be problematic because you still have to be close enough to hear each other. So you're going to have to figure out some way to have the jury not be present. And I think that Kiffel's absolutely correct. The only way for the jury not to be present is for the attorneys and the judge to leave. Because uh, otherwise you're asking a bunch of people to move around versus just a few. Uh, I, uh, it, it is a hard I have a question. The the headsets, like the interpreter where or whatever, because you can mute the microphones at the table and say, could 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 people be wearing those headsets? The attorneys, whatever, if you had a bench conference, that the record would pick up, but nobody else can hear it. Judge Frankel, I don't have the answer to your question. It's, again, something to experiment with. I know when you talk about moving the council tables, like I was looking out at Southwest yesterday, um, or actually even putting the jury, the um, attorney, some of the attorneys in the jury box to use that space, then you've got to put those attorneys with the portable mics so that they can stay where they're at. Um, Again, that's something to do a dry run. If you want to do it with the attorneys, use some of your clerks so you get a good feel for how all these new dynamics work out. Oh, uh, speaking of the technology, uh, we cannot have the jurors show up on the video. So most of your courtrooms have your FTR set so the cameras jump around, jump around, jump around, which is, I think, the preferred setting. Some of you have have it set so just the camera behind the bench out into towards the council tables is on permanently. You've got the jurors in the back. You've got to switch it. Uh, I think what uh, Judge Ryansville did the other day is she had the camera in the back of the courtroom on facing forward. That way the jurors, as they were seated in the gallery, would not be seen. 
Nicole, was there any other discussions or did I relay that information accurately? You did. You're getting shorter and shorter with me. You know me too well. You can correct me all you want. <laughs> no, you're doing well. I've asked you lots of questions. I've asked plenty of other people lots of questions. Uh, so, so back to the outline, um, you, you are going to have to discuss with the attorneys how you're going to be handling exhibits. Uh, are you going to be using Elmo? I mean, you normally do want to talk about technology and, and how you're going to do it. It, it takes an even greater uh, urgency now to discuss with the attorneys beforehand how we're going to handle all of that. All right, we've spent a lot of time on jury selection already. Do we do we have any other discussion on jury selection? This is Pro Tem Mike Reagan. I have a question? Yes. Yes. If, uh, you reach an impasse with an attorney over the procedures for conducting the trial, like over face masks or whatever, and they just refuse to uh, give in on anything, what do you do? You are the judge. I'll, I'll take a stab at that. I'll take a stab at that so that Charles has more time to say. Here's what I told the, the prosecutors the other day were trying to get the defense attorneys to um, make some sort of representation that, that they they would stipulate to some stuff and, and not set the state up for appeal. Well, you know that's a non-starter, man. That ain't going to happen. The defense attorney's job is to make some objections, uh, set it up for possible appeal. If I get charged with something and get pulled into one of your courts, I'm hoping that my defense attorney does the job, whether it's a pandemic or not. Uh, one of the things that, that I didn't let them know is I am much more comfortable with getting overturned on appeal because I did something wrong than somebody getting COVID-19 in my courtroom. Um, we, we can't, we, we got to take all the precautions that we can to make people feel comfortable and frankly to be safe. Um, if I get overturned on appeal because I overruled some of the defense attorney's objection, whatever. Uh, I want to be respectful. I want to follow the law. Uh, you know, I, I'm not just going to wing it. But getting overturned on appeal is minor in the scheme of my career than during a jury trial in a pandemic where I am ordering everyone to be there with bells on in my courtroom to do this and not doing it safely. I will prioritize safety, and I will sell that to anybody and everybody in my courtroom. And if that steps on somebody's toes a little bit, that's okay. We all know that we do jury trials so that the other 99 cases settle. We 
do a jury trial so that, okay, if we did something wrong and there is an appealable issue, well, the state can work something out for a settlement during the appeal. It is a very small sliver of cases that get overturned on appeal, and if that one's mine, I'm okay with that. I'm not okay with somebody ending up in the hospital because I did a jury trial. You also, Reagan, did that answer your question? I, I, I think I've muted uh, Yeah, I guess you just uh, uh, have to go with what the circumstances are, but some people are obstinate and they seize on the opportunity and uh, won't acquiesce to requests. So I'm just curious, you know, where does the judge lie? Do you just simply say, this is the way it's going to be? If you don't like it, take me up on appeal, and that's fine. And, and again, you, you, I would you do need to comply with the administrative orders, so make sure that you, you know, for, for example, with the masks and the physical spacing, you have to comply with that. Uh, so if their objection goes to that grounds, you are on solid footing to say, I'm complying with the administrative orders. Uh, and as in any other trial, in any other instance, you are the judge. Once you have made your considered opinion, you tell the attorney, I've, uh, that has, I've made that opinion, we're moving on. You can, you can appeal. making a good point because they're earning their money that day. The Chief Justice has excluded time from March 18th through November 1. So unless you had something that was coming up on a, a time deadline back when um, we, we trials went on a hiatus back in March, you should have plenty of time to kick the case down the road if, if you're not comfortable going forward. I, I know one of you has got a, a case where a defendant was uh, referred out for a Rule 11 evaluation, uh, came back, yes, that's, it's fine to go forward. Well, you know, I don't know whether I'd want that case going forward right now, depending on why the person, what, what, that individual was doing that caused the, the referral for a Rule 11 evaluation. If I'm thinking that they're going to be acting up in court, uh, I don't know that I want that more complicated case going forward early uh, on as we get our feet back under it. That's one that I, I'm thinking maybe I do use that timeout the Chief Justice gave us from March 18th to November 1 and set that down the road a little way. There's, there's obviously a lot of different dynamics in the case. That would be. Anybody else have a comment? Uh, thanks. Uh, if you don't mind, Julian here. Um, you probably have a copy of the jury management subgroup of best practices recommendation. Um, and there's a law, there's a section A here that uh, Nicole uh, was on that, so was Judge Watts. Uh, and uh, Section 8 of this document is attorney conduct and evidence during trial. Uh, there, uh, kind of the theme is trial judges have substantial authority and discretion to control and direct attorney conduct during the trial. And then there are 20 bullets uh, of uh, different, um, yeah, that's the cover letter, uh, Charlie, and then it follows up, but there are 20 bullets of different conduct issues uh, that are uh, 
that I think are helpful. And the link for that is right in Administrative Order 143. Right. So that's how important the Chief Justice thinks of that document there that a bunch of people put, put some work into. And I have distributed, if, if you told me you were going to be here today, I have distributed that to everybody. A couple, I have a couple questions. One is, and I was doing trials in West Mesa, and they have, at least we're having a lot of difficulty getting enough jurors. Is there a minimum number if you don't, if X number of people show up that you just send them home because you know you're not going to get through it? Well, keep in mind. By the time keep keep in mind that there are, keep in mind that there are two less peremptory challenges now. So you basically have to to get um, get down to nine. If you don't if you don't think you can get down to nine, then you can send the people home. If there's a chance you can get to nine, then you should proceed. And, and the attorneys may agree to go forward with six rather than have any alternates. Uh, I, I did one one time where we only had 13 show up, and by golly, we seated a jury. I, I was as shocked as anybody. <laughs> and, I, I mean, I know it's a lot of hypotheticals, but assuming you're going through Fort Iowa and you tried to screen it out, what do you do then if somebody tells you that, yes, in fact, they've been exposed to somebody with COVID and it's been in the last 14 days. They can't be in your building. Well, they, they, okay, they got through, the, I know they're supposed to tell them or whatever, and all I'm saying is what do you do if they come in and they... They, they have, you, you have to enforce the AO and have them leave the building, period. Uh, I don't know of, as, you know, I see Judge Kissel shaking his head. Is there anybody who's got a contrary view? They, it's very clear they cannot be in the building. I'm not. I, I guess what I'm saying is, is they 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 were around other people, and now they say it. So do you send everybody home? I mean, now they. What about all the other people that they've just been potentially exposed to? I, I, that's what I'm raising the question about. I, I, it, it, in that instance, it is possible that you will have to declare a mistrial and send everyone out. If, if they've been exposed to someone who is positive for COVID, then they may need to quarantine. Judge Frankel, we've lost your audio. So, um, what, back to the outline, uh, the next thing well, was... That was the question, and you answered it. The, back to the outline, um, jury questions was something else you're going to have to consider. Anytime you've got exhibits or papers changing hands, you do need to take precautions and you need to think in advance and discuss with the attorneys how you're going to do that. So that includes how you're going to do exhibits, that includes um, handing the jurors the jury instructions at the beginning of the case and at the end of the case. Uh, are there any other questions about the procedure of uh, picking the jury, or Paula, is there anything else you want to add? 
no, thank you. I, I'm very impressed. Um, I think you've covered the hardest issues, and the other ones are all well outlined in these documents. Well, one of the things, and, and I am going to clean up the, uh, the uh, Justice Court outline and send it out to everyone, uh, but one of the other things that we can spend more time on is where you're going to put the jury in your courtroom. Uh, as, as Jim indicated, most of our jury boxes, if not all of our jury boxes, are not going to fit are not going to fit seven people. Uh, so are you going to put four people in the jury box and, and three in the gallery? Um, I, I really don't like that idea. I would consider putting all seven in the gallery uh, and possibly, depending on the configuration of your courtroom, putting the witness in the jury box so that everyone can see it. That would require the attorneys to sit facing the gallery so that they have their back to you, but at least they can see the witness and they can see the jurors. Um, anyone else have any other better ideas or thoughts about how you're going to do that in your courtroom? That's the solution that we came up with. I mean, ultimately, you're able to see the jurors over the gallery. It doesn't really matter if the attorneys have eye contact with you, other than if they have an objection, then they turn around and we deal with it. Keep in mind the camera is not essential. What is essential is the audio record on appeal. The camera is totally superfluous. So the only concern we have to have is that we have a microphone in the jury box so that it is picked up. Um, and to avoid uh, videoing the jury, let's freeze the camera on the judge. Uh, you know, just make sure you're not sleeping during the jury trial. Again, don't do that again. One thing I would suggest as far as the spacing of your jurors is once you figure out in your mind where, where everybody's going to be, um, pull your clerks out and actually have them sit in those spots and then talk to them. Uh, yesterday at White Tank, I had six clerks come out and, and sit on one side of the gallery and back and said, okay, how's everybody feel? can you spend a day with other people in this configuration? And they switch to the other side. How are you feeling over there? Uh, at one point, uh, Christy told me, no, she was too close. When she was playing the defense attorney, she felt too close to the prosecutor, even though I'd measured it out, my little yellow stickies and a tape measure said it was fine. The human being was telling me it wasn't. So I, I would encourage you, since you've got a number of staff there, to, to invite them to help you think this through. I know that I found that helpful yesterday. And I took some pictures of them 
which then helped me visualize, okay, is this really going to work or not? And am I comfortable with it? Well, also, we're going to, uh, the jurors going to be able to put up with sitting on those hard benches for two days versus sitting in the comfortable chairs. That's another issue. I've got sports cushions at home, so I know I know what I would do. But oh, I made Nicole smile a little bit. Hey, she's still there. <laughs> Other than that, I don't have a solution to the hard hard pews in the back. Nicole, anything else from your font of wisdom? Um, I don't think so. I I think. You know, the, more, the most important thing is for everyone to um, to get into their courtrooms and experiment to see what's going to work best. Um, everyone's courtrooms are different, obviously, and uh, the parties are different, the trials are different, so um, practice ahead of time. Um, we can't really know how it's going to go until we actually get in there and do it, and that's kind of been... Uh, I was really excited that we actually had trials uh, last week because we've been doing all this preparation, but we didn't know how it was actually going to shake out once we started doing it. So, you know, once you actually get in there, practice, and then do it, then, you know, we'll know what we need to fix or adjust to make it um, easier or more successful moving forward. Yeah, one, one of the other things you need to, to keep in mind is that if if jury selection is going to take much longer than it used to, that you may now be looking at a three-day jury trial rather than a one- or two-day jury trial. So you do need to make sure that you've got your schedule blocked out and that um, the attorneys uh, are going to be available um, as well as the jurors when you select the jurors. Well, the advantage of that, though, Charles, if you do your jury trial, your party on a separate day, you get to begin the trial at eight o'clock on the dot. Not, I think. I think arguably, we're, two days is still what we're looking at. Well, another issue that no one has answered yet is um, Chester Flaxmeyer. What if our expert witness is not willing to come into court? We we don't know yet because I don't know if any, anyone has asked. But if he does not want to appear in court. Do we allow him to appear virtually, or does every case involving an expert witness who will not appear get continued? Can't we subpoena him? Attorneys are loath to subpoena him, and then, and then we're going to get to the point, are, are, are we going to start subpoenaing people who are at risk for COVID to appear in court? That, that starts making people very uncomfortable. Judge Williams, are you going to subpoena people to drag them into court? Right. Some people need a subpoena to get off work and things like that. So I, I, if someone objects to the subpoena, that'll be the, I guess, the interesting issue. So uh, Chester Blacksmire doesn't like to be subpoenaed because he likes to schedule four courts at the same time knowing that three of them at least will fall out. But um, 
I, I, I mean, I guess, yes, we'll continue to subpoena people, um, and we'll just see if we get an objection to the subpoena, how we deal with it. Well, keep in mind the administrative orders do talk about being more liberal in terms of allowing people to appear via technology. So if the defense wants to present a, a witness via Zoom or go to meeting, uh, generally it's the defense that's going to object because they want to look at the mannerisms and evaluate the credibility of the witness. But if it's the defense putting it on, how are you going to rule on that? You know, if the state says, we, we want Flaxmeyer here in person. That's well, I would, I would probably overrule the state at, at that point. But uh, if, if, if you're very safe overruling the state, you're more at risk for appeal to overrule the defense. But, uh, I mean, it's a different topic, but we had a, a domestic violence victim testify uh, last week at North Valley in a hearing uh, for violation of injunction against harassment, she, uh, she, she, she claimed that she couldn't wear, she had a medical condition where she couldn't wear a mask. So I was going to let her testify by phone. The defense objected, um, and she ended up testifying over go to meeting. And we just projected her on the screen in the courtroom, and the defense couldn't say anything because they could, they could see her mannerisms and everything. Um, uh, there was an issue then that we hadn't thought of. This is well, the, she's the victim. She gets to watch the rest of the trial. Um, and she says, well, I'd like to watch the trial as long as, long as I'm not on the big screen. And so I just minimized her on the courtroom computer, put my hand up, turned the, the camera around that's on the top of the, the monitor. She watched the rest of the trial. At the end, I turned the camera back around, was back up on the screen again for the victim impact statement, and it, it worked remarkably well. Um, so there, it, it, it's pretty easy to have a witness testify um, by Zoom or go to meeting or whatever on the judge's computer, and you just project that onto the big screen that we already have in the Um So I guess I would try to accommodate Chester Blacksmire in a, in a similar way. Because he, he's going to be better you know, when you can see them than he is over the phone um, from the, the presentation standpoint of what he wants to tell the jury. Paul, Charlie, that's a great question, and I honestly don't remember specifically that coming up. I was just looking um, that in uh, Section 6 of, of the document that we put together, the recommendation is that witness... Uh, examinations is a decision that should be made pre-trial conference. Uh, and so, I mean, that's fairly obvious, but that's probably the best you can do. At least you're not going to be surprised it halfway through the trial that all of a sudden you find out that, the, you know, Chester's not going to be available. Okay. Um, we have spent 90 minutes on juries. Uh, there's there's another major issue of evictions. Do we want to spend any additional time on juries, or do you want to transition to evictions? Evictions, please. Okay. 
But let's give Nicole a nice thank you because I doubt if Nicole's staying around for eviction. Thank you, Nicole. Thank you. If anyone needs anything, please do not hesitate to reach out to me or my staff. Um, I know I gave you a lot of information, so um, I, we will help you out as best we can to be successful in restarting jury trials in your courts. Thank you. Well, the same, I'm not leaving, but the same goes for me. Please don't hesitate if you want to direct anything. I can uh, usually find an answer somewhere. Call Charlie, if nothing else. He's always got a better answer. And Charlie, yes. I would love it if um, in the future, for a future roundtable, maybe six months from now or something, we do a follow-up on jury trials and hear from the people who've had them and what they've done that's worked and not worked. And, and we can certainly do that. Uh, I, you know, I, I think we'll still be doing these virtually in six months, uh, but um, we, we most certainly can do that. Uh, and, and we've just had... Does that a, mean that you're not pushing through their criminal jury trials and prioritizing those people in custody? No. I still got jailed in custody. Okay, we, we, we've just had an off-the-record discussion with Nicole, and Nicole indicated that um, there may be jury pools available every day except Friday, so if we have an eviction jury trial, it may be possible to uh, borrow a superior court jury. And then to answer Judge Kissel's question, no, the criminal trial would take precedence. This is just going to be if a jury pool is available, correct? Well, no, my question is, is superior court now pushing through their, their criminal trials? Are those getting done now? Yes, the, the two that we had last week were criminal, and the two that we have today are criminal. And so you've got a total of four? So far, yes. Okay. And if I understand the situation correctly, others have not gone because of arguments that have been raised and the judge on the case um, not forcing the matter, but allowing the continuance since we're still under the time exclusion. With respect to evictions, if you know, we're not in a position to do an eviction jury trial in justice court in a timely manner, which would mean that under the um, AO, it would be transferred to um, Superior Court Civil Division would then schedule it Nicole has jurors that are summoned that she could bring in, but also, just like us, a Superior Court could take advantage of the exclusion of time under the AO and kick the jury trial out until that judge is, is comfortable going forward with it. Uh, but jury, uh, time exclusions and eviction actions are through, help me out, Charles. October 15th or December 15th? It, it's through December 15th, and it'll probably be continued since all the evictions are going to be filed in January. All right, and so we will conclude our discussion of jury trials.